It's time now for Faith in Action, the program that looks at how ordinary people are putting their faith into action in their everyday lives. Faith in Action is underwritten by the Knights of Columbus, Council 6923 and Fishers, and is produced by Catholic Radio Indy. If you have any comments or suggestions for this program, please contact Bridget at catholicradioindy.org. That's B-R-I-G-I-D at catholicradioindy.org. Or call 317-870-8400. Now, here's today's edition of Faith in Action. This is Faith in Action on Catholic Radio. I'm Jim Ganley. Our co-host is Bridget Ayer. Hello, Jim. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And Bridget, I know there's people that are wondering, is there going to be a Catholic Radio dinner this year? Now, last year, we had kind of a virtual event. We had a lot of fun. We uh, had the Archbishop in here, and we gave away our first annual uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen Evangelist of the Year Award but we didn't have a dinner. So this year, hey, it's back to as close to normal as we can get during this uh, particular time. And we are going to have a, an event. It will be at the Northside Events and Social Club, formerly known as the Northside Knights of Columbus Hall. And it's going to be on August 24th. August 24th. That is a Tuesday night, so mark your calendar for that. We're going to have a silent auction, probably a little bit of a live auction and a great, great speaker. We've had him before, and um, we're going to have Father Vince Lampert, who is the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And I always have to think that through because I always want to say extortionist, <laughs> and, he, and he's not. He is the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis, uh, a great fellow, great speaker, and a very, very interesting topic. So that's August 24th, mark your calendar. We'd love to see you there for the Catholic Radio annual dinner. Well, this topic is really timely in light of our guest speaker this year, uh, Father Vince Lampert. Um, a lot of people wonder, you know, are miracles real? Well, um, our guest today has a very fascinating background. He is a certified consultant for exorcists in the Diocese of Pittsburgh and is an auxiliary member of the International Association of Exorcists. Our guest, Adam Bly, has spent decades studying and experiencing the supernatural. And in his new book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles, he shares in extraordinary detail what he's learned about miracles and their meaning for Catholics today. And our guest today is Adam Bly, um, here to tell us all about his book and his experience uh, with the supernatural. So welcome to Faith in Action, Adam. Oh, thank you, Bridget. It's nice to be here. Well, it's really interesting as I was reading your bio, you know, Jim and I, we've, we've been Catholics a long time. We've been kind of in this business for a good long time. And it's really interesting. I, I learned something new all the time. And I have never heard of the term, I'm not even sure how to say it, Paratus? Mm -hmm. Tell me what that yeah. is. <laughs> so it, it's a Latin word that means expert, and the Church uses that word uh, when, by decree of a bishop, the Church recognizes somebody's authority in some area. So you could be recognized in, you know, gardening or um, writing speeches or uh, and anything specific the Church wants to recognize. They're just saying, we recognize your expertise. And the reason they did that for me is because I was training priests uh, in this specialized area of exorcism, because I had just been exposed to so much of it and learned so much. I'm a lay person. I'm not an exorcist. And I, by the way, I know Father Lambert. <laughs> um, 
he was a student at our conferences at Tulsa for many years. Um, so the Church did that because, uh, canonically, in terms of canon law, uh, that makes it possible for me to train priests and, and do the training, which I do nationally and now internationally, um, and kind of just canonically makes it make sense. I gotta ask, Adam, how in the heck did you get into this business, so to speak? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, the short answer is God drew me into it. So uh, about 15 years ago, I was in graduate school and built clinical psychology and curious whether these strange experiences were just mental illness or an artifact of the brain. Um, and so I started looking into it just as a curious side project and got invited by the Pittsburgh Diocese to come evaluate a case um, that has become a book that the, the homeowner has written. And uh, through that met specialist clergy. I was invited to join the International Association of Exorcists because some of those clergy were high-ranking members. And doors just kept opening, uh, and then the bishops started asking me to train priests and national conferences and clergy days, um, individual consultation cases, and now it's become a big part of my life. Okay. I have a question that just popped into my mind. I've been Catholic for many, well, all my life, for many, many years, and it's never occurred to me before. Is exorcism a uniquely Catholic phenomenon, or do other religions have exorcisms maybe by other names? Yeah, correct. So um, the, I, the problem of these troublesome evil spirits is universal. It, it's a human experience. It's not like only Catholics encounter demons. Uh, there are exorcists within Buddhism, and they call them animal spirits. There are exorcists within Islam, and they call them jinn or shaitan. There's exorcists within Judaism, they call them dibbuk. Uh, there are exorcists in Native American uh, tribes. Uh, they also tend to think of them as animal spirits. And so if you ask any of the major world religions whether there's a troublesome, deceptive spirit that tricks its way into people's lives and destroys them, they'll say, yes, there is, and they'll have a different name for it. We would call them demons or fallen angels, um, but it is a universal phenomenon. Now, the big difference with the Catholic Church is we're basically the only one that has a formal rite, an actual book uh, with a fixed rite that is used. Uh, in the Orthodox Church, they also have some some rights, uh, but that's also within Christianity, of course. Um, so yes, it, and and the fixed rights, there's some, there is some of that within Islam. Uh, but I can tell you in general, and I'm not putting anybody down. Um, there are a lot of places in the world when they come across difficult cases that don't respond well, they they tend to come to the Catholic Church and ask them to take it. And mm -hmm. I think that's partly because. Everybody associates the Catholic Church with exorcism because of all the movies that have been seen around the world over the, the decades, um, but also the simple fact that with difficult cases, when you have the apostolic authority of a bishop behind you, that seems to be the big factor that mm -hmm. has the Catholic Church able mm -hmm. to succeed where a lot of faiths uh, mm -hmm. run up against difficulty. Now, you mentioned a lot of uh, world religions there. What about other modern-day Protestant, Christian religions that are, are not Catholic as such? Do they have exorcisms? Well, not really. They have what they would call as deliverance sessions. So they can't use our exorcism right. They may pray, and, and they may even give a direct command, which is kind of an exorcism, but it's not a formal exorcism right like we have. So 
they tend to rely on sola scriptura, the individual and the Bible. And, and what, what happens in reality, what usually plays out is those methods work for minor cases, but the full-blown serious cases, those methods basically just make the thing angry, and the fallen angel tends to simply say, you don't have authority over me, and doesn't obey them. Um, so again, they, they end up referring the serious cases to the Catholics as a rule. I want to ask you, we're talking with um, Adam Bly, author of The Catholic Guide to Miracles, and I want to get back to a, a, something that you mentioned as it terms the term right. I mean, people might be thinking right as in like a civil right, but you're using the word right, R-I-T-E, and, um, you know, so like the right of baptism, R-I-T-E, so it's a prayer sequence, I guess. I'm, how would you define a rite, R-I-T-E? Well, you know, you can think of something like the Mass, which is a sacrament, um, and that involves gestures, so there's physical movements that are required, and there's words that are required, and there's a certain matter. So the bread and the wine have to be present, a crucifix has to be present, uh, an altar of some type, or at least an altar cloth. So a rite involves matter, so in the case of exorcism, a stole and a crucifix, it involves words that are laid out in the book, that what the priest says, and it involves gestures. And so there may be an instruction to place the stole on the head of the person at a certain moment in the, in the rite. And so those are kind of the components of what makes up a rite, which is kind of like a fixed ritual. Okay. I just want to clarify that, because sometimes we hear that word, and you know, Catholics will know R-I-T-E, but others may not know what that is, and sure. we have a lot of people who aren't Catholic who listen, so we just wanted sure. to clarify that. I want to get into miracles. Uh, how would you define a miracle? Is there like an actual definition in the Catholic faith of what a miracle is, or a, or maybe a generic definition? Well, yeah, there's a few levels to it. So okay. the, simple, the simplest definition would be something that only God can do, and, and that, would, that, would, that captures it. Now, if you want to get a little more nuanced, you start looking at, I think, Thomas Aquinas is a good place to look. Thomas Aquinas was a, a philosopher and theologian that wrote m most of the foundational theology that's used in the Catholic Church. Um, he's a towering figure in the history of the Church. And he also, amongst just about everything else um, in theology, he wrote about miracles, and he broke them down into three levels, things that... Uh, God does that nature simply cannot do. So if we think of the sun dancing at the sky of Fatima, that, that never happens in nature. Uh, things, when God does things that nature does, but in a different order. So if we think of, you know, we're all, our bodies will eventually die, and then we'll stay in that state until the final judgment. Well, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb, he went from death to life as opposed to from life to death. And so that's God doing something that nature does, but in the opposite order, which is normally impossible. And then the third level of miracle, the kind of least dramatic, would be when God does something that nature does, but he does it much faster. So we might get the flu or a bad cold, and we know we're going to recover in five or six days or maybe ten days. And if somebody's praying for us and God intervenes, we see an instantaneous healing that doesn't take any time. And so nature would have done it, probably, but God does it instantaneously. So that's kind of the third level of miracle that Thomas Aquinas talks about. And it seems as you're talking about the three different levels, I'm just thinking about different situations where people are 
in the hospital, they have something very seriously wrong with them and they recover really quickly when maybe they were going to die. So maybe that would have been in maybe the second category. I'm not sure. Or, or the third category, like you mentioned, it could happen in nature, but it just happened. You know, they were going to have a six month recovery and all of a sudden they're up walking around. It's like, Hey, I'm fine. You know, you, you know that they can't explain it. The doctors can't explain it. Do you ever come into cases like that? Can you think of any stories off the top of your head that um, would fall into any one of those categories? I know you gave a couple examples there, like with Lazarus, you know, coming from the dead, but any, any modern day um, stories that you're aware of? Oh, sure. So um, I have a, a younger priest friend who regularly, of course, goes to the hospital to anoint people that are very sick. Um, and he had one case recently where he just went to pray with the person. He knew the family. They were in, in his parish. And uh, he went to pray with the person, and he carries a lot of first-class relics with him, and we can talk about what relics are. Um, and he was praying with the person and placed the relics kind of on their chest while he was praying, and they were kind of on death's door. So um, their kidneys had completely failed, and their liver was failing, and, you know, they were pretty much unconscious, and and it turned yellow, and the hospital had done what they could, and so they they said, he's going to die soon, please come anoint him. And his father was praying, he felt a real presence of God, something was happening, and uh, basically the next morning the person was sitting up in bed talking, and then within a couple days later, they were discharged from the hospital and back home with their family. And one thing, the really remarkable piece was they had done, and I know your listeners aren't going to believe this, but this is what happened. Um, they had you know, done more scans of his body because they were trying to figure out what happened that he recovered so quickly and try to assess this as just a brief you know, respite and, and you know, what do we need to do medically. And they basically saw a second kidney uh, behind the, the one that they had studied that had failed. Um, and they saw a second one there that they had not seen before that was functioning and, and providing, you know, what was, you know, what that organ should be doing. So that was kind of a dramatic one. That person is still alive uh, and continues to now be functional in life, and, and the hospital had basically given up on him. So, you know, yeah, there's a chance he had a third kidney there the whole time, and they had missed it, even though they had, you know, scanned his body a number of times. Um, but, yeah, that's that's just one of many examples, and I'm sure you've, you've had friends or priests or known of stories like that. We need to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, miracles and that they're really real today. So stay tuned for more Faith in Action. Across America, there are quiet heroes changing lives every day. When disaster strikes, they lend support. They give hope to those in need, warmth to the cold, and help to those society ignores. Over the past decade, they have given more than $1.5 billion and 700 million hours to charity. When it comes to making a difference, the Knights of Columbus are on the front lines. Become a Knight and be the difference. Learn more at kofc.org. Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, what time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. 
You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to Faith in Action. I'm Bridget Ayer. Jim Ganley and I are in the studio, and we're talking with our guest, Adam Bly. He is an author and certified consultant for exorcists for the Diocese of Pittsburgh, and we're talking about his new book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles. I'm curious, um, how did you happen to write this book anyway? Well, I, I had written a book on kind of the antics of, of the demons uh, that had kind of shown that the supernatural is real, that preternatural is real, and therefore God is real. And that's ultimately the goal of any Christian book, is to lead people to an awareness of God and, and conversion and moving towards God. And so as the years had gone on and I had looked into some miracles in addition to dealing with uh, the kind of demonic end of things, you know, I had seen a number of beautiful events. I had had priest friends that had, you know, been involved in very beautiful holy events, and I thought it would be really helpful, perhaps, uh, to try to write a book that would highlight the positive side of the coin and highlight all the various ways that God speaks to the world through miracles, you know, starting in the Bible and what Jesus did in the Old Testament, and then moving forward through the history of the Church. And so the goal is, is to share those stories with people and also my own personal encounters with the miraculous as, as an encouragement about the reality of the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Now, Adam, is there something or some process that causes miracles, or do they spontaneously happen on their own, or do people do something to kind of help the miracle along or precipitate the miracle? How does that work? Well, that's a big question, because we'd have to ask God. So, <laughs> you know, I... I I obviously can't know for sure, but I can tell you what the general trend seems to be, um, is that it's both. So in the case of, for instance, when Mary has appeared to different visionaries, like the children, take Fatima, the children are out working in the fields, Mm -hmm. they see this young man who turns out to be St. Michael, they learn later, who explains to them that, you know, they're going to experience something special soon, and he, he needs to prepare them, and then later they're seeing Mary, and she's giving them messages for the world and for themselves, and that's something that God just did. Nobody prayed and said, we'd like Mary to come and appear to the children of our village. Um, so there was, no, there was no thought or prayer towards that. I mean, perhaps somebody was praying for that. We don't know. Um, but it's likely that it just happened. And so... Sometimes God just does things, often at certain critical points in the history of the world or in the history of the Church, as guidance. So, you know, Fatima was between the two world wars, and it gave direct guidance about that a next war was going to come if the world didn't repent, and the sign that would happen in the sky, which it did when the Aurora Borealis came down to Europe and the sky was all red, right on the eve of the war, everything that was predicted happened. So sometimes God just intervenes in a miraculous way on his own, Many times we pray and ask God, just like in the Gospels, people ask Jesus to heal them. Um, So more often than not, the bulk of the miracles are when we ask God for some intervention in the world. And the most common one is healing, you know, because we're human and we're mortal, and somebody we love is sick or dying, and and we beg God for a reprieve. Um, So yes, it's basically both. I have to ask you... um I would love to hear some of your personal uh, stories of miracles, if you're open to sharing those, and I'm curious if you share those in the book as well. Yeah, so, I mean, I I share a few because they happened, and I thought, well, you know, if you're going to write a book on miracles, you you need to share those. And and I say there, and I would always say, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm 
I'm not a holy person, there's nothing special about me, but God um, does these things in spite of us, in spite of our sinful nature. Um, but certainly, like being at exorcisms for years, you know, I've been at hundreds of them, um, seen many, many, many demons cast out of people by God. Each of those are miracles, because seven of the major gospel miracles that Jesus did are exorcisms. So, seen hundreds of those miracles. Um, I experienced a, a Eucharistic miracle on the Mount of Transfiguration during a pilgrimage in Israel. Um, you know, for me, that was a special thing. Uh, I do believe that I was healed of what was a heart murmur that could have been indicative of a, of a bigger problem. Uh, I was with a, a dear priest friend in Europe who was moved to pray over my physical heart. He didn't know anything about it. I've never mentioned it. And the next time I had a heart workup, everything was completely normal. Um, so I, I think God, you know, has healed me of something there. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's been a number of beautiful events, um, but those, those are some examples I've experienced. Now, when you're talking about exorcists, obviously the goal is to have the evil spirit leave the person's body and the person return to n- normal. How do you know at what point the spirit has left the body? Well, um, you want to be cautious about assuming it's actually left. So first off, there's many. There's never just one. So you're talking dozens and dozens as a rule, and that's why it takes a long time. It's not like in the movies where there's a dramatic 10 minutes and it's over and the whole case ends. Uh, It's generally many months of prayer or years in some cases of weekly prayer sessions. When the case finally ends, there's a few hallmarks of it, of the last one finally leaving. One is there's, there's just an explosive joy about the person. They have an absolute certainty in the core of their being that they're finally free. They are able to participate in the sacraments, usually for the first time in years or decades. They're able to receive communion without interference. They're able to attend Mass. They're able to go to confession. Um, and... They're also completely themselves for the first time. And then the only way you're really sure is you keep praying for a few more sessions to be sure there's nothing hiding or or just feigning having departed. And the final thing that's interesting is in almost all cases, uh, the person will see Mary physically, the mother of Jesus, will appear to them, uh, and usually she says the same thing. They'll tell us she looked at them, usually she smiles, and she says it's over. And... That's the moment that the case ends. So I'd say nine times out of ten, Jesus sends his mother to end the case. And so, we, we, you know, generally people don't know that, um, and they'll describe that experience. And even people that aren't Christian, they're not baptized, they're not Christian, they really, you know, everybody's heard of Mary, but they don't really know her or think that she would necessarily be important. We've had those people also say, this beautiful woman came in the room. I didn't know who she was, but she told me it's over. Who was that? So typically, um, Mary coming and ending the case is a good indication it's likely truly over. But again, we always pray for a few more sessions just to be sure. Well, we just have a couple minutes left. Um, what would you say to skeptics that might be listening and they say, well, miracles, maybe they happen in the Bible, but you know, do they really happen today? You know, Is the supernatural really real, or is that just... Hollywood nonsense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, that's a reasonable question. Any rational person would ask that if you've not experienced anything miraculous or if you haven't been given that kind of faith from the Holy Spirit as as you're reading the Bible. So, you know, that's a reasonable, rational question. Um, 
I would say the best thing to do is to just pray about it, even if you don't believe in God, and say, well, God, you know, there's these supposed miracles. I don't, you know, I only believe what I see. I've not experienced them. But if you're there, if you're really real, and if miracles are real, please speak to me through my life. You know, show me something, draw me to yourself, give me an experience um, that'll, that'll help me understand that this is real. Um, and the one caveat to that would be there are some people with mental illness and psychosis that hear voices or, or see hallucinations. And those people, you know, they have lots of strange experiences. And I would say for those people that are struggling with mental illness, you know, praying that way may lead to just more hallucinations. You want to maybe avoid that. But if you're rational, you know, your mind's intact and, and you're curious about that, ask God to reveal himself to you in your life. Um, that's the direct you know, connection. You're saying, God, I want to be closer to you. Draw me to yourself. I'm not sure I believe in you um, or miracles, but please give me some sign in my life. Uh, now, where can people get the copy of the book? Uh, Sophia Institute Press. So sophiainstitute.com is, is probably an easy place. And then, you know, the other typical places you can get books are also an option, but I think Sophia is the, the fastest. Now, our listeners might be uh, somewhat familiar with exorcisms a little bit. Uh, we have Father Vince Lampert on from time to time, and as we mentioned he's going to be the speaker at our dinner this year. The other way that our listeners might be familiar with uh, modern-day miracles and uh, older miracles is with a new EWTN program called The Miracle Hunter, and those are kind of my only two connections, and you happen to know both of those people. I know Father Lampert, he was a student at our conferences at Tulsa many years ago, and I know uh, Michael O'Neill, he actually wrote the endorsement for my book. So uh, what do you hope for people to take away from the book? You kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but what, what's, what's the takeaway that you'd like people to get when they read the book? Well, it, it's simply that God is real, and God loves them. So God is love. And even if you've had a hard life or, or you've gotten into some trouble or whatever it is, God still loves you. He forgives you. He only wants you to reach out toward him. We're all sinners. None of us are worthy. Um, and God reveals himself to the world in these extraordinary ways, sometimes, not always. Um, and those ways are there as a signpost to kind of encourage us in our own spiritual journey. So this book, the goal is, is to maybe that God will speak to you through the book, and you'll know that Jesus is real, that he loves you, that he suffered for your sins and paid for your sins and opened the way back to the Father uh, for you. Well, that's uh, a great message for our audience and, and for us here at Catholic Radio. Uh, you've been listening to our guest today, Adam Bly, author and certified consultant for exorcists in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. He is the author of the new book, The Catholic Guide to Miracles. You can pick it up at sophiainstitute.com. Adam, thanks so much for being our guest today. God bless you. You've been listening to Faith in Action the program that looks at how ordinary people are putting their faith into action in their everyday lives. Faith in Action is underwritten by the Knights of Columbus Council 6923 and Fishers and is produced by Catholic Radio Indy. If you have comments or suggestions for guests or topics for this program, please email Bridget at catholicradioindy.org. That's B-R-I-G-I-D at catholicradioindy.org 
or call 317-870-8400. This program is pre-recorded.